it was just after I finished my first draft of that novel, Conversations with Friends, that I started writing short stories about the two protagonists who later become the protagonists of normal people. And I sort of met them in their mid-twenties, in their late-twenties. and But in those short stories, there was always a sort of suggestion that something had happened between them in school. So mm. I kind of knew that there was this past. Um, and then eventually I just thought, well, that's what I want to know about. I Go want, and find yeah. out what happened in school. <laughs> <laughs> I want to know the whole story up, up till, you know, they finish college. And so that was where my interest took me. And so the process was very much just trying to figure out, um, because the book is kind of composed of scenes, you know, there are sort of like 18 main scenes in it really, sort of choosing where to, where to meet them, where to bump into them, you know, and, and what I could get out of different sort of meetings between them. Hello and welcome to the Booker Prize podcast with me, Joe Hamia. And me, James Walton. And it's Booker Prize monthly spotlight time as we discuss a book that fits rather well with Valentine's Day coming up. As with Jonathan Strange and Dr. Norell by Susanna Clarke, Room by Emma Donoghue and The Strange Incident of the Dog in the Nighttime by Mark Haddon, you may not realise our chosen novel was a Booker long-listed book. Its entry for the UK's top literary prize happened in 2018. Because, as that opening clip of uh, author Sally Rooney speaking on Radio 4's front row, May have suggested, if you know Sally Rooney's voice, the book we are discussing is indeed Normal People by Sally Rooney. Published in 2018 in Britain and Ireland, where it became a huge literary sensation, and in 2019 in America, where Beatles-like, it became, if anything, even huger once it crossed the Atlantic. Oh yes, and as well as being shortlisted for the booker, Normal People was the Costa Novel of the Year, the British Book Awards Book of the Year, the Waterstones Book of the Year, the winner of the Royal Society of Literature Encore Award for Best Second Novel, and I really could go on, but I imagine you get the idea. But perhaps most pertinently, uh, Normal People is one of the very first uh, ever literary TikTok sensations, as you can hear here. This book has been my personality. I love this book. Sally Rooney is some sort of genius about noticing how people really think. We all know that Sally Rooney writes about class, but what I didn't know is that she's a full-on Marxist and that Normal People is a searing critique of capitalism. Every time I go into a bookstore... I go straight for Normal People by Sally Rooney. And the book also has plenty of celebrity fans, including Lena Dunham, Emily Ratajkowski and Taylor Swift. These days, it has around 7 billion mentions on TikTok. And then, of course, there was the 2020 screen adaptation co-written by Rooney herself, which conquered much of the known TV world during COVID lockdown. In fact, our producer Kevin was working at BBC Studios at the time and was telling us just before we started recording today that the makers of the show were completely taken aback by its success. So yes, apparently BBC thought it would be a, a modest small drama rather than the global smash hit it turned out to be um, with Daisy Edgar-Jones, who plays Marianne, and Paul Meskel, who plays Connell, sending social media into something between a frenzy and a total meltdown. With emotionally charged exchanges like these. You know, um, you were saying the other day that you like me. By the photocopier, you said it. Yeah. Yeah. Did you mean like as a friend or what? No. Not just as a friend. Yeah, I, I thought that might be implied. I just wasn't sure. <clears throat> See, I'm just a little confused about what I feel. I think. It'd be awkward in school if something happened with us. 
one would have to know. So, among other things, uh, what we'll be asking today is how on earth did all this happen, and why, to a novel written by a serious-minded, at times almost punishingly thoughtful, young Irish Marxist. But maybe let's start right at the beginning, Joe, with the, with the young Irish Marxist who was responsible for all of this. Can you tell us a bit about Sally Rooney? Yeah, um, it almost feels weird to uh, tell people about Sally Rooney now at this point. That's how big she's gotten, although she keeps a fairly low profile these days. She's the author of three novels, Conversations with Friends in 2017, Normal People, which we're discussing today, which came out in 2018, and most recently, Beautiful World, Where Are You in 2021. And like Normal People, Conversations with Friends was also adapted into a, a BBC miniseries, although I think slightly less successful than Normal People. I think Sally Rooney is sort of, if we're going to use these categories, firmly what you might call a millennial. <laughs> she was born in County Mayo in 1991. She sort of kind of incredibly completed her first novel at 15, which I find astonishing. She calls it trash. She began her debut novel Conversations with Friends while she was studying for her master's degree and shortly into the period of its writing was signed by the Wiley Agency for those who don't know the Wiley Agency run by Andrew Wiley. So it's sort of amazing to have not even published your first debut and to have already been signed. No, And it was she was at Trinity College, wasn't she, in Dublin with the... Yes, she was. And what, what, what's this stuff about? Was she... Like, she got into debating, but in true Sally Rooney style ended up as the European champion debater of yes. something or other. Yes, she <laughs> seems to be the sort of person who, when she does something, she does it extremely well. I mean, it's, it's an extraordinary story, because I don't remember a novel having this level of impact last 20 years, really. And, um, you know, at, at this debating champion, intellectual Marxist, suddenly finds herself at the, at the eye of this sort of mad storm. But, James, we're getting ahead of ourselves. Why don't you tell us what normal people is actually about? Okay, Joe. So it opens in uh, Carrickley, which is a fictional town in S County Sligo in the west of Ireland, um, where, where Sally Rooney is from the west of Ireland, uh, where we meet the two main characters straight away, aged 18. So there's Marianne, who's clever, posh, and living in a great big house with her mother, Denise, and her brother, Alan, her father having died when she was 13. And then there's Connell, who's clever, not posh, uh, and has never known who his father is, but his single mother, Lorraine, works as a cleaner for Marianne's family, which is why he's come to the big house to pick her up in his car. Um, Marianne and he get talking, um, and there's an obvious, if slightly odd and hesitant connection between them, especially after Marianne says that she likes him. And then from then on, each successive chapter sort of plonks us down every now and then, usually a few weeks later, sometimes a few months, sometimes a few days, as their relationship progresses and quite often regresses. So in chapter two, they have the first kiss, which is also Marianne's first ever kiss. Um, then they start having regular sex, which Connell rather ungallantly insists they must keep secret because uh, Marianne is regarded at their school, um, not altogether inaccurately, in fact, as quite strange. Um, and then they apply for university. This is quite an important thing. She changes his life, really. Um, he was going to go to study law in Galway, again in the west of Ireland, and then basically live the same life that he has with the same, around the same area, with the same kind of friends, marry a local girl or whatever, that. that, that. But she persuades him to go for Trinity College in Dublin, um, Ireland's leading university, uh, to study English. By the time they get there, though, they've split up. Uh, following his, his pretty brutal decision to take somebody else, somebody more popular, to the school dance at the end of, of, the, of their school year. Uh, and then by the time they get to Dublin, their roles are reversed because now it's Marianne who's popular, lots of friends, and she fits in well, you know, because she's richer, I think. He's largely friendless and feeling out of his social depth. And then one night, 
Uh, he's invited to a party uh, by a posh bloke called Gareth, who, um, when he gets to Gareth's house, says, oh, my girlfriend's from the west of Ireland. Uh, you must meet her. And who should it be but uh, Marianne, of course. And the connection is uh, still obviously there. And before too long, they start sleeping together again, then break up again, then start sleeping together again, then break up again. Uh, pretty much uh, all while remaining best friends and confidants, which we often to the dismay of their new partners. Um, I won't spoil it by saying where they're up to by the end of the book in that process, but I can say that famously, uh, normal people, together with conversations with friends, earned Rooney the never very welcome tag, I don't think, of voice of a generation. And Joe, you are of that generation, so at the risk of turning you into the voice of it, um, what did you make of Sally Rooney when you first read her? Did normal people have a big impact? Yes, it did. I just finished my undergraduate degree in 2018. That's a really depressing sentence for both of us to hear. Um, uh, mainly me. <laughs> and I was having... God, I don't even know what to call it anymore. Let's let's diminish it so I still have some dignity left by the end of this podcast. A dalliance <laughs> with, okay. with a boy and who like quite ritually managed to like humiliate me in ways that I'm not even sure he's aware of. I did not do. <laughs> it's all good. I'm engaged now. <laughs> and yeah, You um, showed him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I was um, just fairly heartbroken, I think. So I picked up normal people and I was working as a bookseller at the time. So it was it was kind of in the air if you were a bookseller. There was always someone coming into the shop going, have you got Sally Rooney's normal people? So this is when Rooney mania is taking off, is it? Yeah, I mean, it already kind of had taken off with conversations with friends because that I remember really clearly always being... I worked at Waterstones Piccadilly, which for people who don't know is eight floors of books and it's massive and it's impossible to... As a bookseller, you have a sort of generalised knowledge of where everything is. Um, and month by month, you have a kind of shifting knowledge of where books that are selling really well are. Um, and I just remember with conversations with friends, knowing where it was for longer than... Mo Usually you know where a book is for sort of a month to three months. With conversation with friends, I think I knew where it was for about six. And then even more so with normal people. So... I, I picked up normal people kind of loose and and then just really unexpectedly found myself like dry heaving and sobbing a few pages in. And it was one of those times where I think for the first three reads, I couldn't really tell you what the book was about, except that I had cried at sort of every page. So the first three reads is an interesting yeah. phrase in itself. I, I read it really compulsively. I, I kept, like because how, it's like a how many really times? easy book to read. Probably more than 10 times. Wow. I remember uh, the first time, not in a row though. <laughs> 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 but, I, but I remember the first time I read it, I was it was summer, I was still in London. And then um, somewhere around that time, I moved back in with my parents for the summer and I was still reading it and then I remember when I started my master's at Oxford I was still reading it it was a long heartbreak James okay. <laughs> um but um I yeah I just kind of sobbed over it for like months genuinely months maybe even close to like a year and it's been really interesting reading it now um however many years later with an engagement ring on my finger because I still cried, but I'm like in a happy relationship <laughs> about to get married. And 
and yet I'm I still I didn't cry as much I only cried twice this time but it's still it still does the same thing to you so it's interesting like heartbroken or not it still gets under your skin did you cry James I didn't go. Oh. And in fact, and in fact, I mean, I do really like it, and we'll get into lots and lots of aspects of it, and I'm very compelling. But um, no, didn't shed a manly tear. But but in fact, so heartless am I. I can't quite imagine which were the bits that you cried at. I don't think it's a spoiler to say that Marianne. Um, it's very heavily hinted that she was abused by her dad, physically hit by her dad, and that her brother enacts the same kind of violence on yeah. her. And her, her mother is totally okay with this. So there's a point for the first time ever where Marianne calls Connell um, after something like this has happened. Um, she's never really confided in him at this level before. And he, he immediately drives over to her house, picks her up, goes in and tells her brother in no uncertain terms that if he lays a hand on her again, um, Connell will kill him. The brother's name is Alan. Connell will kill Alan. And then he gets back in the car and just flips and says to Marianne, I mean, flips is in, like, becomes completely calm and says, I will never let anyone hurt you. But the grand irony of that is that actually the person who's probably hurting Marianne the most in her life is Connell. So that that made me cry this time around. Actually, there is one there is one bit where it might have been a tear pricking in my eye. I'm not, I'm not ashamed to say. Quite early on where Marianne is sort of hanging out with the other girls for the first time, really. And mm. um, some older bloke comes and sort of grabs her. And mm. Rachel, who's the sort of popular classic mean girl in a way, um, most popular girl in school, sort of laughs at, um, and Connell at this point is still keeping their relationship a secret, and Rachel says, sort of laughs at, at Marianne making a fuss about this, and Connell springs to her defence and says, Rachel, will you ever just F off? Yeah. And that that's a sort of very cheering moment, I think. Yeah. I think also, like, this time around, I mean, I can say for certain that the first ten times around, the kind of crying wasn't just motivated by the book, but there's... Um, there's also another point um, where um, sort of by the end, Marianne has, um, she's on an, a year abroad through the Erasmus program and she's in, she's in Sweden and she's having one of very many questionable relationships or kind of situationships with a guy called Lucas who mm -hmm. kind of takes photos of her um, in the nude and kind of ties her up and tells her that she's worthless. And there are sort of multiple moments where Marianne kind of disassociates. And I think this is partly down to her um, childhood trauma of being abused and having an utterly permissive mother while that was happening. But it gets described in quite like shocking detail, the extent to which she kind of disassociates. And this is quite a long passage, but I'm gonna read some of it. Um, so she and Lucas have had an arrangement for a few weeks now. Lucas calls it the game. Like any game, there are some rules. Marianne is not allowed to talk or make eye contact while the game is going on. If she breaks the rules, she gets punished later. The game doesn't end when the sex is finished. The game ends when she gets in the shower. Sometimes after sex, Lucas takes a long time before he lets her get in the shower, just talking to her. He tells her bad things about herself. It's hard to know whether Marianne likes to hear these things. She desires to hear them, but she's conscious by now of being able to desire in some sense what she does not want. The quality of gratification is thin and hard, arriving too quickly and then leaving her sick and shivery. You're worthless, Lucas likes to tell her. You're nothing. And she feels like nothing, an absence to be forcibly filled in. It isn't that she likes the feeling, but it relieves her somehow. Then she showers and the game is over. 
She experiences a depression so deep it is tranquilizing. She eats whatever he tells her to eat. She experiences no more ownership over her own body than if it were a piece of litter. Passages like that <laughs> get to me. Yeah, the, 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 well, maybe we should, just because we seem to have come to it, we, we did have a, a rather cunningly put together running order, but let's just go where, where it leads us maybe. And, and obviously this, this question of Marianne's masochism. There's one bit where she's, she's trying to explain it to... Um, Connell, and she says, it's not that I get off on being degraded as such, she says. I just like to know that I would degrade myself as someone if they wanted me to. Mm. That's a really fine distinction to me. And also, I mean, I don't, I don't get it, basically. <laughs> she then says, does that make sense? And, I, and it doesn't quite to me, but what's the deal with female masochism? Because obviously the biggest selling book of, I think the biggest selling book of the 2010s, even more than uh, normal people, Fifty Shades of Grey. Which is about which is female masochism and was bought almost exclusively by women in a, in a way that I don't, I don't think, think normal it's people. Comparable to Fifty Shades of Grey, and I think one of the reasons that this book is so good is because to understand Marianne's masochism and the reason that I I think that sort of um, using Marianne's uh, masochism to object to the book is a really lazy conceit is that it's so specific to her as a person. So first you have to understand, I know I keep drilling this in, but you have to understand the extent to which she is abused by the men in her family. Yeah. And then I think it's also really important to know about another female character in this book who's actually Connell's mum, who is possibly one of the only people in this book who stands up for Marianne. When Connell doesn't take Marianne to the Debs, his mother, um, she kind of queries it in the car with Connell. And at the end of the conversation, she says, well, I think you're a disgrace and I'm ashamed of yeah. you. Yeah, she more than queries it. She absolutely... Yeah, she she really yeah. nails into him. But the thing about Lorraine, she's kind of a sparingly mentioned character, but I, I think she is another kind of representation of the extent to which, specifically in Ireland, there's a very limited agency that women have with their bodies. So you find out essentially that Lorraine had Connell when she was 17, yeah. probably not even out of school, and that her you know, the father is completely out of the picture even before she's given birth. And she had no other option because abortion is legal in Ireland at that time. And so you have to understand the massive degrees to which Marianne, even without kind of her um, relationship with Connell, lacks a sense of agency in her body that's only compounded on in a social sense when she gets to school and she's called a freak and different and bullied by her classmates and then when the first person she's ever fancied tells her I don't want anyone to find out about us even though I think the reason he does that are deeply rooted in a kind of sense of class shame but we'll come on to that later the reason that Marianne's masochism is so deeply affecting to me at least is that it's it's not it's not at all rooted in any sense of sex and this is why i i, I don't think it's comparable to 50 shades of gray where uh, it's a long time since i read 50 shades of gray but there is a kind of tangential pleasure or kind of desire or joy in those books there's none at all in marianne's character she's essentially rooted being degraded um into her ability to be at all perceived and that starts very early on in her childhood and that's why I don't think it's a kind of insufferable or questionable aspect of her character it's a it's a deeply kind of psychosocial and political one no if that makes sense no I do, I do agree with that I mean but there is some some because one of the people she goes out with 
um, when not going with Connell is is this posh guy called Jamie. Yeah. She says, I suggested it to him. She, again, she's explaining it to Connell uh, that I could try being more submissive and it turns out he liked to beat me up. Um, he hits me with a belt sometimes, things like that. Uh, but Connell's pretty shocked, as I think, as are we. I mean, a lot of it to me is recognisable about being in your 20s. And... and but I do. I did wonder if the sort of Twitter world where everything is either really good or really bad, the phrases good person and bad person are used quite starkly in the book, aren't they? And there's one bit, for example, actually, I'd, I'd like to take a bit of a run up at this. Yeah. Because, okay, so so I think it, so whether this is new or not, I think people on, people on the left particularly have always been pretty ruthless on themselves and pretty disappointed in their own reactions, which don't live up to their ideals. Um, I think maybe that's always been true. Here, here, is, here is one point, uh, Marianne. She tries to be a good person, but deep down she knows she is a bad person. Corrupted, wrong, and all her efforts to be right, to have the right opinion, to say the right things, these efforts only disguise what is buried inside her, the evil part of herself. Now, say she has an evil part of herself, but you know, covering it up by trying to be right and do the right things and do the right things, it seems a pretty good way of dealing with you know, it. It seems about the right thing to do. You know, Pretending to be nice is being nice. But do you not think, because... That is at the level of the character, right? But at the at the level of the novel itself, in which these two people, however clever and educated they may be, are consistently sustaining quite massive personal failures over the course of their lives. At the level of the novel, do you not think Rooney is sort of saying that this is an unsustainable system? That splitting things into categories of good or bad or thinking of yourself as a good or evil person, that fundamentally what she is saying is that essentially this is what leads to no end of trouble on the level of kind of Connell and Marianne's relationship to themselves as a couple, but also internally, because both of them have quite severe mental health issues. Like towards the end of the book, we have this protracted scene in which Connell's doing a kind of checklist for symptoms of depression. And um, he keeps trying to um, sort of mitigate. He doesn't want to scare his therapist who he's about to see. So he keeps going, oh, you know, actually, I have this really extreme feeling, but I don't want to be thought of as mad. So I'm just going to kind of say that it's a bit less. Where in fact, if he actually just spoke honestly, you know, yeah, he no, would no, get no, treated yeah. and it would be fine. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I, I agree that the book possibly does question that idea of good person versus bad person. But again, I wonder if that's almost... Do you think there's times almost where the book slightly satirizes um, Marianne's Marxism? I'm thinking of two two moments in particular. There's one bit where um, Connell meets her for um, coffee and he's held up by a demonstration. And Marianne says, um, she says, what was it about? He says, I'm not sure. Uh, uh, she, she hopes it's about abortion, but I think it's probably about household tax or something. And she says, may the revolution be swift and brutal. Mm. And then they have a cup of coffee and sort of chat. Or more, or more so... There's one bit where she's talking to her friend Joe, who gets a job, and Marianne's rather scornful that she's working for the man. And she says to Joe, you know, money is just a social construct. But Marianne's able to say that because she's got loads and loads of it. So I think there's sometimes in which Marianne's Marxism is, is almost satirised, almost comically. I think actually this is my one issue with the novel. And it, it kind of pertains to Connell as a working class boy as well, which is that, I don't know if, they're so much satirized as to me from time to time they kind of become caricatures of the kind of conflicting ideologies that Sally Rooney is trying to 
put into conversation. So Marianne is, you know, this kind of rich Marxist who lacks a kind of self-awareness, especially when it comes to the kind of influence that she has over Connell's life. You said in your introduction that um, she's the person who convinces him to go to Trinity. What you didn't say is that before that, Connell was considering a law degree that probably would have furnished him much more adequately with the resources he no, needed. So that in Galway, to... and he would have lived a local life. And he, and, yeah. he, and he, at that point, is realizing he decides which of two people he's going to be. Yeah. The guy who stays in the West of Ireland or the guy who goes, goes to Trinity and yeah. takes his chances. There's another point at which uh, Marianne has a friend of hers hook Connell up with a job at a restaurant that's doomed to close. And everyone knows this, but Connell still takes the job because he's with Marianne and he can just stay with her at her house. He doesn't really need money when he's with her. And then on the other hand, you have Connell who doubts his own ability to say something because of his class background so much that it kind of feels like a caricature of a working class person, you know? When he gets to Trinity, there are these descriptions of how he feels kind of inferior to everyone around him that keep recurring. So this is one. This is what it's like in Dublin. All Connell's classmates have identical accents and carry the same size MacBook under their arms. In seminars, they express their opinions passionately and conduct impromptu debates. Unable to form such straightforward views or express them with any force, Connell initially felt a sense of crushing inferiority to his fellow students, as if he had upgraded himself accidentally to an intellectual level far above his own. I do wonder sometimes if what the thing that you described as satire to me is just sometimes um, characters becoming more narrative devices for kind of Salarini to make certain points about class or the woman's body in Ireland more than they are characters. Let's be honest, Joe. Uh, uh, interesting, though, the sort of uh, Marxism aspect of the novel is that that's not the reason it conquered the world. Yeah. The reason it conquered the world is the love story between Marianne and Connell. And given that they're not, and they're not the most obviously lovable of people, are they? When we first meet her, she's got complete contempt for everyone around her at school. He does that horrible thing of not wanting anybody to ever find out about them. And yet, somehow, I think it's true that we do root for them all the way. So let's let's just talk about it as a love story. Why why is it such an affecting one? I think normal people is a love story of course but it's it's sort of I can't this is the only point at which I kind of oscillate between sort of what do I think of this book truly I can never work out whether and this might be an explanation for its massive success it is a a kind of story about love that's so great that it transcends love and speaks to all these other things that we've been discussing or whether love in this book is simply as much of a narrative device as the kind of school setting, the kind of college and university setting that allows Sally Rooney to talk about all these other things because love as with the kind of age that you are when you're at school or university is a good device with which to intensify conversation and feeling to a point where you can really drive it home to the reader so the kind of interesting thing about normal people with me I, I don't know if other people would agree is that I've actually never really been so hugely invested in 
whether Connell or Marianne will get together and stay together so much as the dynamic of their relationship and what it what kind of insight it offers me about other aspects of my life in a kind of social or economic sense. Okay, Which Joe. I'm making I'm making it very boring again, I realise. <laughs> uh, okay, all those things are all true, but they are not the reason this book conquered the world. The reason this book conquered the world is people wanted Con- Connell and Marianne to get together. If you say so. Don't you think? N- no. Do you, do you think the, the book conquered, <laughs> conquered the world because people wanted to know about sort of agency and Marxism and stuff? Well, okay, let me let me let me put forward some absolutely standard love story things that I think lie at the heart of this book's success. Okay, mm. I'll try. Um, first of all, there, it does it does somehow create the feeling that these people belong together, which is very love story. Almost Heathcliff and Kathy, they talk about the parts of themselves belonging to each other. It's when I at some points when I'm reading the book, I was thinking obviously it wouldn't make much of a novel, but why didn't they just get together at the start and stay together because they obviously belong together? So they they, they create that. Another possible rom-com, I was going to say trick, device, no, no, but just just method, is that every time they go out with someone else, that someone else is rubbish. I think that's that that's 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 a, that's a sort of technique. Um, like Jamie is unbelievably horrible, and Lucas, the the guy in Sweden, uh, Connell goes eventually does does go with Rachel, the sort of mean girl, and there's someone he goes out with called Helen, who's there's not much wrong with her really, except that she calls him a culture. Culture is um, sort of derogatory slang for. West of Ireland people or country people, uh, particularly used in Dublin. And, but also, her, her main th- the main thing that's wrong with her is that she doesn't like Marianne much. She thinks Marianne craves male approval and is um, self-obsessed and so on. And she doesn't get, she's jealous of, um, of, of, of his friendship with Marianne. So she's, she, and she's also a bit bland. And also linked to that is the fact that only Marianne and Connell in this book feel completely real and rounded. The, mi- the minor characters are all pretty sketchy, aren't they? Again, I have rebuttals for this, but does anyone want to hear them at this point? Um, I think the reasons that the kind of, as you described them, rom-com tropes work so well um, in this book are directly tied to what she's doing on a social, psychological, political, economic level. So, you know, the feeling that Colin and Marianne should definitely be together is only there because there's this innate huge tension um, bound up in all the reasons why they perhaps can't be together, starting with, at the very beginning of the book, the class and wealth disparity between the two of them, and leading all the way up to the way that Marianne believes her body is deserving of being treated in, uh, in Ireland, which culminates in this really heartbreaking scene where she asks Connell in the middle of sex to hit her and he goes, no, Marianne, I'm sorry, I can't do that. And he like fundamentally in that moment does not understand why she would say something like that. Um, and he can't, he can't. And that is that is one of the reasons why they can't be together. This idea that they are always going for um, other, other people who are kind of, you know, not as great as they are together. I think those other people are actually chosen um, or written with great care by Rooney. There's a reason why they are not as good as kind of Connell and Marianne and they are to do with the kind of internal conflicts that each character has so Connell getting with Helen he thinks oh she's a she's a nice girl I can take her home to my mum etc um 
it's it's like that split that you were talking about earlier that Rooney describes of if what if he had been the person who who stayed in Dublin and or, or sort of went to Galway and did law etc. He would have ended up with a girl like Helen yeah. rather than, and and that is a massive kind of root part of his character, which is representative of all of these themes in the novel. And then this idea that other characters aren't as well kind of sketched out. I mean, to that I say I think perhaps they aren't they don't feature as heavily in the novel, but someone like Lorraine feels to me by the few gestures that she imparts, incredibly important to our understanding of these people. And actually I I know her intimately. When I when I saw her, when I saw the actress playing her in the TV show, I, I immediately thought, out out of anyone else, not about Connell, not about Marianne, not about any of the other characters, I thought thank God they got Lorraine right. Let's move on to maybe a, a different thing altogether, which is just the title. Why is she calling it Normal People? I think the the part of the book is essentially about the consequences of what happens when you try and slot yourself into a position of kind of social conformity, which is what Connell and Marianne are constantly doing, right from the moment where Connell says, I don't want anyone to know that I'm sleeping with Marianne after school because it would be embarrassing for me. Um down to Marianne suddenly playing the part of the cool girl at college after being a weirdo, uh, the cool girl at university, sorry, after being a weirdo all the way through college. Um, the kind of idea that, um, you know, when Connell um, gets a scholarship at Trinity, the first thing he does is kind of go traveling and acclimatize himself to all the other things that people take for granted. And then he gets, you know, a lovely girlfriend called Helen and tries to be like a normal person. And then after that ends up deeply, deeply depressed and um, trying to lie to his therapist about his suicidal impulses. They're, they're just inherently not normal, <laughs> normal no. people, right? But the book is kind of about what happens when you put yourself outside a zone of conformity or comfort. So Joe, we started by, um... Remind people who, who, who didn't know that this was a book long-listed for the Booker Prize. That's why we're doing it on the Booker Prize podcast um, in 2018. Do, do you think A, it should have been, B, it should have been shortlisted, uh, C, it should have won? I mean, how, 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 hmm. how big of a novel in traditional sort of literary terms do you see normal people as? Well, just to situate it in context of the, the prize, I think actually the, the shortlist... Um, that we ended up with in 2018 isn't that far removed from what normal people is like. And actually one of the other books that features on it, or two of the other books that feature on it actually, also I remember being quite sort of trendy at the time, not as big a hit as normal people, but definitely written by young women, by quite conscious young women. So The Mars Room by Rachel Kushner and Everything Under by Daisy Johnson. Not not exactly the same, but kind of there, there was like a trend that I think is starting to wane a little bit now at the time. It was really popular in publishing um, f for these kind of millennial slash Gen Z books by, you know, women with things to say. I guess this is kind of a tired concept now, but the winner we ended up with was Milkman by Anna Burns, which is another kind of very quiet feminist Irish. No, Northern, Irish, Northern Irish, yeah, um, novel. I think you do. We have and we did end up with a shortlist in 2018 that kind of 
you could trace a legacy between um, normal people mm-hmm. and it. It did catch the literary world by surprise, normal people from memory, even though actually conversations with friends, as you say, had already caused quite a stir. So maybe it should have been... Do you know what? The interesting thing is, I think Conversations with Friends is the better novel. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I very nearly used the phrase, um, when Harry met Sally without jokes, but I thought, I thought uh, it's, it's not fair, but but I, I'm sticking to my idea that essentially um, the book wants to tell a love story and Sally Rooney occasionally remembers it's got to be more than that and throws things in. But that's where we disagree, don't we? Oh, I think. Go on, have the final word then, James. So that's it for this week. You can find out more about the 2018 book along listed normal people by Sally Rooney at thebookofprizes.com. And remember to follow us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, TikTok and Substack at The Book of Prizes. Until next time, goodbye. Bye. The Book of Prize podcast is hosted by me, Joe Hamier, and by James Walton. It is produced and edited by Kevin Moyolo, and the executive producer is John Davenport. It is a daddy's super yacht production for The Book of Prizes. 